0: So, this is our last evening, and um, I'm not going to speak at any great length, I don't think, as I have been for the previous nights and mornings, but um, I wanted to uh, give the opportunity to ask any questions about anything, so it's up to you. Yesterday, you you described Sri Aparna's relationship with Sri Dharma Rajan. Since she used loosely, could you explain what you mean by loosely? Uh huh. You were listening attentively. Yes. <laughs> and I was very precise in my intention by using the word loosely when Prabhupada mentioned that that if uh, after his departure we wanted to or felt the need to seek any advice for philosophy that we should go to Sridhar Maharaj. I was there at the time actually I was massaging his feet when he said that so when he said that after that when he did depart then leading devotees of Viscon did go to Sridhar Maharaj and take counsel from him on philosophical issues and so forth. And there's a a historical record of much of that has been um, published in a little booklet called Our Affectionate Guardians. worth reading to get uh, firsthand information about what transpired in those discussions. But at any rate, at a certain point in the discussions, some of the leading devotees chose not to follow the philosophical lead of Sridhar Maharaj per se, and instead, unfortunately, they began to mount a campaign of vilification against Sridhar Maharaj. And so some devotees who were also going to hear from Sridhar Maharaj didn't agree with that campaign of vilification, that it wasn't appropriate. It was a it was based on misconstruing what he said or Based on personal interest of those who mounted the campaign, and those were difficult times, so I don't really, really blame anybody. But at any rate, some people chose to mount a campaign of vilification with the best of intentions, which is, as you know, sometimes the road to hell is said to be paved <laughs> with such intentions. And others didn't agree with that. And so those who didn't agree with that were no longer welcome in the uh, formal institution of Srila Prabhupada. They had to kind of find their way independently with some uh, help from Srila in the background, kind of. And so, I'm giving a long answer, but just to give you some background. So, when the campaign of vilification began to build up, there was one letter that Prabhupada had written to Rupanuga, Prabhu's disciple, who had been to Sishri margin and had asked Prabhupada something about him. And Prabhupada both glorified him in the letter and also criticized him in the letter. And so the fellows who were mounting the campaign of vilification, they got that letter and they circulated that letter everywhere as if to say what we say is fully supported Vashila Prabhupada, here's the written word. I mean, it didn't say stay away from Sridhar Maharaj or anything, but it but it said something to the effect that, well, he, he criticized Prabhupada mildly, but he criticized him. So, the people on the other side who didn't agree with the campaign of vilification, they looked into the written record and they found many other statements that Prabhupada had made in glorification of Sridhar Maharaj, even statements at a later date than that letter was written and so they put together a lot of this information. And in one of those letters that they found, Prabhupada had said that a disciple, a couple of disciples of Prabhupada who were in India, and Prabhupada was in America, and they had been separated from Prabhupada for some time, so they wrote to Prabhupada and said they felt the necessity to have a siksha guru. A guru who would give them instruction and help them, in, in this instance, in Prabhupada's absence. So Prabhupada told them that if you want to take shelter of a Sikshaguru, guru, I advise you to go to my godbrother, Shriya Srinamarsha of Navadvip. I consider him, even to be my Sikshaguru, guru, what to speak of how you can benefit from his company. So, because the campaign of vilification on one side was building up and it was exaggerated and extreme, some of the devotees on the other side were against the vilification, used statements like that one that... Sridharmaraj is the siksha guru of Prabhupada in an extreme way. Also. Then, the vilifiers and innocents on the other side under their influence reacted to that as it's say, Sridharmaraj is you know, not the siksha guru of, of Prabhupada. He may have said, but the fact of the matter is he never referred to him in so many, except in few instances and, and, so, therefore, I want to state it accurately when I state that point whenever it happens to come up in a conversation. That the actual fact of the matter is that Prabhupada loosely accepted Sridhar Maharaj as his Siksha guru. Now that's not something to take lightly and it certainly says something for the person of Sridhar Maharaj and the regard that Prabhupada had for him. But he didn't in every sense of the term accept Sridhar Maharaj as his Siksha guru. Like, for example, I accept Sridhar Maharaj as my Sikhsha Guru. So, the point is that the acceptance of a Sikhsha Guru is kind of, I guess, we could say possible on on different levels and to different extents. Just like, for example, amongst the followers of Bhakti Saraswati Thakur in their various missions and so forth, you'll find all the disciples of Keshav Maharaj or Madhav Maharaj, Sridhar Maharaj, for the most part, all of these disciples who would be, um, cousins of ours, we being disciples, well myself being disciple of Prabhupada, they all would, just in a very general sense, say, yes, Madhav Maharaj my siksha guru, Swami Maharaj is my siksha guru, Sridhar Maharaj is my Sikshu guru, in a loose sense, because they were elders, they were the godbrothers of their gurus, they had some respect for them, their gurus taught them to have some respect for them, and so forth. And they were, their sikhsha gurus, in the presence of their diksha guru, in 99% of those instances, they were using the term kind of loosely as a way of showing respect for them, and accepting and acknowledging that they got good advice from them whenever the opportunity arose, good instruction. And so, someone may accept to... In a general, general way, say, so in serious way, accept someone as kind of like the, this is my siksha guru, the bottom line, and stops here as much as it does for, with my diksha guru, who's also my siksha guru, he may have passed or not be present or available, as may be the case. And he may play as important a role, the Sikshaguru, guru, in the life of the disciple as the diksha guru, or more important role, even. And the diksha guru in the life of the disciple, it's, it's possible. And there are instances, numerous instances of this, throughout the whole history of the Sampradaya. To give a simple example, and at the end of every chapter of Chaitanya Charitamrita, what does Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami say? Sri Rupa Raghunath Chaitanya Charitamrita He's giving his obeisances, his pranam to Rupa Raghunath, who he considered as his siksha gurus there was no mention anywhere in the book of his Diksha Guru. Certainly he had a Diksha Guru and people conjecture, might have been this one, might have been that. But he showed more regard for his Siksha Gurus for the simple reason that he derived more help from them. So when Sridhar Maharaj was asked, which is the most important guru? You know, the Diksha Guru, the Siksha Guru, the Sannyas Guru, the Ragmar Guru, this Guru, that Guru. And he gave a very simple very common sense and very profound and spiritual answer. He said, the most important guru is the one that helps you the most. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) So, in some instances, the Siksha Guru may take precedence over the Diksha Guru in terms of influence in our lives. in some instances, it also may change. The Diksha Guru may take greater precedence than the Siksha Guru, than the Diksha Guru. So, there are many possibilities may I go back and forth it's quite possible so we should be open to the descent of Krishna as it comes to us it is one but as Prabhupada said it appears in in different forms so in a loose sense Prabhupada accepted Siddha Maharaj as his Siksha guru Siddha Maharaj lived with Prabhupada for six years because Siddha Maharaj was a sannyasi at the time and Prabhupada was a householder and he owned a house with an extra flat in Calcutta and so as a Proper householder, he facilitated his sannyasi godbrother and gave one flat to Sridharmaraj to live in. So they lived together for six years. They both wrote their Bhagavad Gita commentaries during that period, exchanging insights and so forth with one another. At that time, Prabhupada wanted to form a mission with Sridharmaraj at the head, he said, as the Acharja But Sridharmaraj was reluctant to take the lead ever in anything, that was his nature. He was always liked to be in the background. In fact, Prabhupada Bhakti told our Prabhupada that you should drag him out. He's a good preacher. Drag him out from his inner life and showcase him to the public. But he was always resisting. It was one of the ambitions of Srila Prabhupada to push him into the into the limelight. And indeed Shiddramars said in the end, he did it. Even by his on his way out, he kicked the door to my ashram down. You know, Lord, so, to speak. <laughs> so many people have, a, you know, come to my veranda from all different countries and so forth, and I try to, you know, just keep to myself, <laughs> and here they all are. So I have to say something. What a friend he said. He's, 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 he's dragging me out, making me fulfill the, the fulfilling of this ambition of my, my Guru Maharaj to, uh, get me to preach like this. Actually, he did preach widely during the presence of Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur, but after his departure, when his mission was disrupted and so forth and there was a fair amount of confusion, he chose to retire and chant Hare Krishna, basically is what he did in Navadvip. And he made a bargain with Lord Nityananda Prabhu that he went to Ek Chakra, the birthplace of Lord Nityananda, and he prayed that you give me residence in Navadvip Dham that I can live there and do my bhajan and carry out the balance of my life. And at that time he got an impression from Nityananda Prabhu that said to him, you ask for my mercy but you don't give your mercy to anybody. Because many nice people were coming and asking him for initiation and he was refusing. He didn't want to take any disciples. Prabhupada's sister wanted to take initiation from him. She had taken Harinam initiation from Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta but she didn't get second initiation. Before he left the world, she approached Sridhar Maharaj for second initiation. So many nice people. It's an example of a nice person. Right? So, he wasn't nice. He said no. <laughs> so, but it, it, he, he was uh, humble. Anyway, so when he prayed for the residents in the Dom, he got an impression, as I said, from Nitinanda Prabhu, that more or less said to him, you ask for my mercy, but you don't give your mercy to anybody. So he struck a bargain. With Nithananda Prabhu, and, all right, so I, I understand it in this way. I can take a residence in the Dom, but if any nice people come, I have to give them shelter. I don't have to go looking around for them, <laughs> canvassing to find them, and so forth. But if they come, you know, then I won't, and the nice people qualify, they won't turn them away. So this way he went, and with the help of some God brothers, he purchased some land in Nabadweep, and he lived there with nothing. For years, and gradually a couple people came and helped him. And slowly, slowly, and even in the, sometimes he didn't have enough rice to feed those who were living with him. In the end, Prabhupada gave money. When he was leaving the world, Prabhupada said he allotted a certain amount of money to go to Marsh to finish the building of his moth. And so, this way, he liked to kind of keep himself in the background. And he had a close and intimate relationship with Prabhupada. Prabhupada had regard for him. All the members of Gaudiya Math had regard for him. It was very philosophical. And interestingly enough, his disinterest and almost unwillingness to go out and preach into the West. In fact, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur first chose him to be the missionary who would go to the West and preach to London. Amongst all of his followers, he chose him. He said, I, because I know he cannot be converted, it's not possible. But Sridhar Maharaj at the time, he said that, that Guru Maharaj, I don't think I'm the right choice. Again, his nature of wanting to be in the background came out. And he said, of course, if it is your order, then I must go. But in my consideration, if you will indulge me, uh, I'm not the best person. There are others amongst us who can speak better English. Number one. And number two, my nature is this to keep in the background. That is my nature. And to mingle intimately with lots of people which could potentially be the case and foreigners and so forth, and that that's against my nature. And thirdly, he said, Life's short and I want to keep your company as much as I possibly can. I take advantage of that. Personally. And he was someone who could take advantage of that company. When Bhaktisanta starts to talk he heard the third thing, his heart was charmed by that actually. He said, Oh yeah, we can pick somebody else. You stay with me. You stay with me. So another was was chosen. Sometimes some devotees used to say, Oh yes, um wanted him to go to the West, but he didn't go. But actually his not going was really his evidence of his spiritual qualification in the eyes of those who knew him. Because it's an interesting thing. If anybody from any mission of Bhakti uh, bhaktisiddhantas, like these different branches of Math and so forth, founded by his disciples, if any one of them missions start to come to the West, do some world preaching campaign or something like that, what you'll find is, first, they won't bring any brahmacharis. This is usually the case. Or maybe they'll just bring one, but then... They had, uh, like, for example, Bhakti Bhattirta, when he came to America the first time, he brought uh, for his entourage, like, four Grihastha men. The reason for that is because they were very concerned that any brahmachari, any sannyasi come to the West, they may be affected by pratishta, pride. I'm the preacher, I went to the West, so many people are listening to me, and pratishta is, is very difficult to conquer over and to avoid, and so they wanted to protect them. And the householder they thought, well, it's not much of a problem, they're already married, and they're already, and they're already considered, like, well, you know, he's not real fired up anyway, or something like that. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> so that's the, the tendency. And, and so the fact that Sridhar Marsh was so disinterested, just like even in a general sense, if you go to India, you can find so many young boys who want to go to America. Immediately, you know, if this guy is suspect, you know, he wants to join. He'd join the mission. He'll be a paka brahmachari for two years, waiting for that visa. He'll serve hand and foot, and just to get to America. You know, you know, what going to America means for somebody in India, I mean, they have no opportunity to get out of there, and 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 what America's like. They have so many like fantasies of what it's like, and. In many ways, it exceeds their fantasies. (laughs) What it's like in terms of material facility and so forth, compared to living in in a village in West Bengal. So, so many boys will come and they'll enlist, and it's not a big deal for them. It's like going to school for two years, you know, join the army for two years, so that you can, you know, get a pension and you know a good job and so forth. But if you find these boys that don't want to go to America, and you think, oh, and he's still interested in Krishna consciousness oh, then I'd maybe take him a little more seriously. So Sridhar Maharaj's disinterest was, for those in the know, indicative of his qualification. He had no interest in being in the front and uh, being known as the big big preacher and so forth. So Prabhupada, amongst others, Prabhupada, of course, uh, had regard for him and he had affection for Prabhupada. He always supported Prabhupada, defended Prabhupada when others would come and, and complain You may have heard the stories when they came in and Prabhupada said, oh, they're just a bunch of bell ringers, these guys, because they weren't helping in the preaching. They came to Siddha and complained that Swami Maharaja, Bhaktivedanta is calling us bell ringers. And then Siddha Marsh said, in my estimation, to be a bell ringer in his mission, that is a big thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a big campaign. You should understand. So he was very close with Prabhupada. It's very clear from the record that he was the closest of all of uh, Prabhupada's godbrothers brothers to Prabhupada. In fact, Prabhupada approached Sridharmarsh Maharaj for sannyas first. He asked Sridharmarsh Maharaj to give him sannyas. Sridharmarsh personally told me the story. And he said, but our families were so close. His family was so close with me. I lived in their house for six years. And for a man to take sannyas we mean to leave his family and all the family could be upset with that and be up in arms. So he said, I was so close with his family when he asked me for sannyas. It was sudden, he said, for one. So I thought, well, maybe we should, I should tell him to be a little, slow down a little bit. And he laughed. And he said, but secondly, he said, I was afraid that his family would come here and cause trouble for me when, when I'm doing my bhajan here and my mop. <laughs> Break down my doors and, you know, what are you, you took our father, or you took my husband, you know. These kind of dramas go on in, uh, in India. But he laughed, he said, because anyway, then he just went and took it from the Maharaj. He was so interested in preaching. So they were very close and very intimate. If you study the conversations between Prabhupada and Sridhar Maharaj, when Prabhupada went to Sridhar Maharaj's moth and brought some of his disciples there on a number of occasions, you can find also Prabhupada asks different questions, theological questions, and Sridhar Maharaj gives answers. In fact, Prabhupada once said that everything I learned, I learned from Sridhar Maharaj what he meant by that is in many respects the teachings of Bhakti Siddhanta were heard directly by Sridhar Maharaj who was in the moth, in the mission, directly serving and so forth. In fact, when Saraswati Thakur would give a lecture, many of the devotees couldn't understand it. Sridhar Maharaj was one of the people who they would go to and say, what, what was he talking about, what, what did he say? And then he would explain it and give the meaning and so forth. And so on. So I had that kind of relationship with a lot of devotees. And the Prabhupada didn't live in close proximity to Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur. I think he told us he met with him you know, half a dozen times or so. Of course, he took every word uh, that he said at those times very seriously and made, uh, made a whole life out of them, which is sort of extraordinary and exemplary. But practically, many of the philosophical insights and the uh, vision of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, he learned much about from association with Sridhar who was his senior godbrother. So he revered him, and uh, in a general sense, loosely speaking, accepted as that a Sikhsha guru. And loosely, because Sri Maharaj, my Sikhsha guru, tells me something, and I accept it, uh, well, for the most part. And just like I do with what Prabhupada would say, but Prabhupada would ask the advice of Sri Maharaj, and you know, maybe you take it, maybe he wouldn't. Not always on practical things. Just for example, here in the East Coast, when Prabhupada got sick for the first time. I think it was on the East Coast that he got sick in America before he got sick, I think later in California. And um, so he was thinking that I might leave the world here in America rather than in Vrindavan. And it was said that you should die in Vrindavan. So he wrote to Sridhar Marsh for his counsel. He said, what should I do? I'm here, I'm getting some success with the preaching, but my health is not good, I may die here. Should I go to Vrindavan or should I remain here in the field and preach? He wrote to Shudamarsh to ask his counsel. Shudamarsh wrote back and said, in you know, my considered opinion, you should stay there and preach. But my suspicion is that had Shudamarsh said go to Vrindavan, Prabhupada might have opted to stay anyway. I mean, he was his own person under the care and grace of Bhakti unto Sarsuti Thakur. And he felt his oats after some time, after the success that he was getting, and in the grace of Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur. So so he could even criticize Siddharthi sometimes, as he did in that one letter. And when he brought that letter to Siddharthi and said, they're showing this and saying this. He read it to him and he laughed. He said, ah, Swami Marsh, even me he did not spare in his criticism. His old friend. <laughs> then he gave his version of what Prabhupada talked about in the letter, which was relating a historical incident and so forth, which was interesting and illuminating for us because we had the opportunity to realize that some of the things that Prabhupada spoke about historically were witnessed or experienced by other people a little bit differently which is understandable we all have that experience for example Prabhupada said really a few words about the breakup of the Gaudiya Math. if you put them all together you'd hardly make a page probably in one of his books and we used to take those few words as like a definitive dissertation on in the status of Gaudiya post Bhaktisantasarasthi Thakur. But we have our own experience of post Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada ISKCON. And boy, it's pretty complex, isn't it? Everything that's happened. And you could say in a nutshell, well, some of them disobeyed, you know. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada and therefore that broke up and did this and did that and you know you can say but I mean there's a lot going on there and there are a lot of sincere people and there are people that did wrong things and then turned around and corrected it and there's all kind of you know it's a huge affair I mean it could fill 60 more volumes I'm not going to be the one that writes them but it's a huge issue it's ongoing for that matter so the chance associating with Sridhar Maharishi was who was directly involved or much more closely involved with that breakup. He was, like he, I said, he wanted to always be in the background so he wouldn't be, be a GBC member. But the GBC people revered him so much that they asked his opinion. They had a dilemma initially about who would be the acharya for the mission. Prabhupada had said that if Bhaktisiddhanta knew that someone was qualified, he would have pointed him out, Right? If our Guru Mahesh had seen someone qualified, he would have pointed them out, but he did not. And then he said others uh, artificially made someone the uh, guru, and so many problems came. It's one of the things that Prabhupāda said. But it's, you know, it's interesting to note that Prabhupāda said if, the, if my Guru Mahesh had seen anybody qualified, he would have pointed them out. And Prabhupāda was saying implicitly that my Guru Mahārāj didn't see that I was qualified, otherwise he would have pointed me out. <laughs> but nonetheless, Prabhupāda went out and seeing the state of affairs and having a desire to preach, he went and preached and he was successful and he certainly uh, showed that he was qualified. Others also did like that. But at one point in the beginning, there was a dilemma because Bhakti Saraswati had said many, many, many wonderful things about one of his disciples who was seen to be a very leading devotee. His name was Anantavasadev. Bhaktisarama used to say, which way I will go, Anantabasadeva knows in my lecture. If I say, I'm about to say a verse, he already knows that verse. And I've seen it, actually. There's a book published by some of his followers all the things that Bhakti Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur said about him. Very extraordinary. So, he was a brahmachar. He was not a sannyasi. He did not take sannyas from Bhaktisiddhanta So That was indicative of also the, the, the possibility that he was a little disinterested in prestige and honor and so forth. So, there was a dispute about who would be the Acharya. And some people felt, let us let Anantavasadeva lead us. Some felt otherwise. The ones who felt otherwise were sannyasis. And they wanted to kind of like divide it up a little bit and have a plurality of gurus. And they themselves showed some eagerness for the position. Whereas Anantavasadeva was not a, a member of the GBC and neither he was asking for the position. So when Sridhar Marsh was consulted, they asked, well, let's ask his, what he thinks. He reasoned like this. He said, hmm, some of these men, they want to be the Acharya. This fellow doesn't want to be the Acharya. They're sannyasis. He's only a brahmachari. He hasn't pushed even to be a sannyasi which speak of Acharya. And Guru Maharshi said so many things about him. So if I'm asked your opinion, as to which way I would choose, given what you're asking me, I would lean in the direction of Anantabhasadeva very objectively he wasn't saying I endorse an antavasudev he's qualified uh, put him in the chair or anything like that but given what I'm asked this is a way of thinking about it that comes to me it was kind of the way he would say it and then his opinion was so highly valued and it was a you know was a well-reasoned and very objectively placed but that came to pass they put an antavasudev in the position And then somebody else objected to that so strongly that they started a second party and the fighting began and it went on for years and years. and, And the second person who started the fight against Anantavasudev enlisted others in his camp. And then some blemish in the character, Anantavasudev, showed up. So that gave strength to the second party. And when others joined the second party on the premise that, all right, we'll take over the mission and oust this Sanantavasudev, then we'll all be the acharyas. When Anantavasudev was ousted, then that fellow who had enlisted the others kicked them all out. <laughs> he said, I'm the acharya. So then they all went on their own, independently. And some of them did something and they were successful to some extent. And meanwhile, Shidamarsh was just kind of an observer to all this. As I said, he was in the background and he was doing his bhajan and so on. That was his position. So, just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, I heard that from Sridhar Marjan and many other stories that he was personally witnessing. Prabhupada's own position was a little removed from all of that. He wasn't in the mission per se, he was as they were, as brahmacharis and sannyasis, he was sikrihasana and so forth. And Prabhupada said in that letter, that letter to Rupanuga that I mentioned it, uh, the one in which he criticized Shiddarmarj Shiddharmarj supported the Nanta Dave, and he turned out to be, you know, a problem and um, at least he practices, but anyway, this way he, he, he disobeyed the orders of Bhakti That was Prabhupada's way of framing it. To his disciple in a letter but I know how these things work because I have God brothers and I know human nature and so forth and, and it means even amongst devotees, even amongst great devotees and and it's not the be-all and end-all, the whole history, the exact story. And I heard the exact story from Sridhar Maharaj, what he actually said personally and how he was involved <laughs> and to what extent and so forth. And so it was interesting to, you know, to be able to have that different perspective and so forth and it kind of broadened my uh, outlook and gave me a capacity to be more well, human and harmonizing, and uh, I feel blessed for that, of course, you know some people will will just say that the um, prophet said it like this, this is how it is, and that 's it and and you have to accept it exactly like that, and this is the whole history of Math, and you know in half a page, and but i don 't accept it like that, and I know practically and i 've seen it, and I can show it to you a thousand times over and when Prabhupada's writing, he says one thing one way, and the next time he says it a different way and He gives contradictory instructions sometimes in his letters and so forth. It's not a bad thing, it's fine and so forth. But it means that you have to take all these things and you have to put them together and you have to come up with what's really behind it all. What's the spirit of it? What's the siddhanta? Why is he saying this at this time? What is the purpose? And and if you advance in Krishna consciousness, then you can do that. Then you're really in touch with the vāni of the guru, not just the vāpu of his vāni, Vāpū means outside form and vāni means instruction. So Sometimes we're told the instruction, the vāni, is more important than the vāpū. If you're serving his foot, massaging his foot, but his vāni, he says, you know, you should go and preach, then better leave the foot and go and preach. So the instructions of the guru are more important in one sense, serving them and serving the form of the guru. But we can also serve the form of its instructions, just be acquainted with the outer form and we can voice them and repeat them and quote them and and we can be quoting them and establishing something very different from what he wanted by doing so we see that happen all the time we've seen that happen in other religious traditions like when people tell us i am the way the truth the life no one the lord no one comes to the lord through me we have a little bit of a different interpretation of that than some people do that, uh, who think that we're completely you know, demonic because we don't accept that exactly the way they understand it, literally. So, same thing with the Prabhupada's words. He said things, but why did he say them? Where did he say them? Who did he say them to? You may think it's presumptuous for someone to conjecture as to why he said it, to who, but there is a possibility of knowing that, isn't there? I would hope. That means if you really know the person, if you really love that person, you really meditate on that person, you really study what he or she says, you really put it into practice, and you will become acquainted with the spirit behind it, which is the very thing that inspires you to to follow it. And that's what advancement in Krishna consciousness is about. And that, that's what preaching is about. That's what Prabhupada did. Prabhupada took the instructions, he said, I follow the instructions of my Guru Marsh Strictly, he told me to preach, I'm preaching. I could show you dozens of people who said, he didn't follow Bhakti Siddhanta. He's got women in the temple. Guru should never have women cooking in the temple. Or this, that, or any number of other things that Prabhupada didn't follow literally. And some of them, not even details. Some things are details. They can be changed and altered. Uh, just to give an example Prabhupada Bhaktisadana Sarasthitaka said Lord Brahma is in the Gopi Bhava what did Prabhupada say? he read it right in his Bhagavatam well Lord Brahma is in the pretty substantial difference of opinion on a pretty it's not a detail is it? what to think is he a deviant from Bhaktisadana Sarasthitaka or is there some higher way of thinking about all these things what to speak then of details if Prabhupada differed in details he differing in the details only for the purpose of establishing the principle that was behind them that made those details relevant at that particular time and place. That's what preaching is about. So, bhakti to talk, for example, might establish certain rules and regulations for a certain time and certain place for a purpose, but a different time and place to apply those might not have produced, delivered the purpose, so they'd be altered. And someone who's only acquainted with the outside of the whole thing. So he changed everything. They came to see the fact that the purpose has been fulfilled and people are chanting Hare Krishna and happy and advancing in spiritual life, you see. Anyway, so loosely, Prabhupada accepted Sridhar Maharaj as his <laughs> guru. It was a great soul, Sridhar Maharaj. He was very extraordinary, very, very harmonizing, and had great affection for Prabhupada. For what he did. He said, for example, that Bhaktisiddhanta used to say that he wanted to have 10 years, extension of his life, to preach in America because he saw that America would become the leading country. At the time, England was the leading country. And Shittimar said, and I reasoned that in Prabhupada, Bhaktivedanta, he got 10 years plus two because Prabhupada preached for 12 years. And he wasn't just saying these things to make us think that he liked his, our guru so that he could get us as his follower. I mean, he didn't have any interest in anything like that whatsoever, as I've already explained. When I asked, well, what do I do now? You know, I'm out of this. Any service, he said, oh, Swami just has told you everything. You know everything. Go out and start something for him. And I'll be in the background. If you need any advice, I'll try to give. He wanted me to do that. He said, a titular adjustment. I can make some titular adjustment, make some technical adjustment perhaps here or there, some little small thing I can do to keep the wheels going in the machine that he created for preaching. I may be able to help in some small way. I'm a small person and uh, this is how he thought of himself. He said, and Swami Maharishi is a big person. He distributed nectar as if it was water, you know, a valuable substance like it was everywhere. He gave, and I am a small person," he said. Only, and he really thought like that, and he helped us oh much, so substantially. But he considered it all, it all just oh, just you know some fine tuning only I'm doing. Everything is already there in place, just a little fine tuning I'm doing. That's all. He wanted that, so I'm doing. So we were very endeared to him, as you can imagine. And he had really nothing to offer in terms of like a big mission with you know a zone. <laughs> you can have your zone over here or <laughs> anything of the sort. In fact, when more God brothers were coming, he got a little nervous because he said, "You know, I got a little place here and I keep myself kind of quiet like this. And you all have a little bit of your own tendencies and ways, and you have your sentiments for Prabhupada and so forth." And I kind of like to keep my month just kind of the way it is, the way it's been for like 40 years. So with money that Prabhupada's disciples gave him, donated to him, he took it and had to buy some land just down the road for them. They could have their own land and they could be there and they could start something and do something in Navadweep. We're all fortunate because the fact of the matter is even those who for whatever reason resisted him are, for the most part, taking advantage of his insights. He's like the Adi Siksha Guru for, for Prabhupada's disciples and Grand Disciples. That's what I could not understand. When I first really heard what he was saying, I realized, boy, everybody's going to have to come to grips with these insights. This is Krishna Consciousness. It doesn't matter if they resist now, sometime in their eternal progress, they're going to have to come to deal with this understand this point. So I thought, well, I'm not going to wait for them, <laughs> I'll be there and I'll wait for them, but I'll wait up there, you know. <laughs> I'm going to embrace that advice, that instruction. And true to form, many of the wonderful insights that he that came from him, part of the preaching of so many devotees and they don't even know even where it came from. It's kind of seeped into the whole fabric of the Gaudiya Vaishnava community, especially amongst the Western devotees. Just to give a simple example, a very, well, a prominent example really. Now the devotees will say, you know, Prabhupada was a shaktiv avatar. That insight came from Sridhar Maharaj. Sridhar Maharaj. said it. And then he explained how, and why, and what kind of avash, what kind of empowerment and so forth and so on. And, and uh, many, many, many things like that. They'll be preaching them and they don't even, it's just kind of, it's entered into the whole Fabric of the international Gaudiya Vaishnava community is, is accepted, and without his name being attached, he's like in the background. You know, some don't even know. Some may even criticize him using his own point. You know, inappropriately, I've seen it happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Prabhupada had great, great love for him. Prabhupada invited him to install his deities, Krishna Balaram deities, to oversee the installation of Krishna Balaram deities and uh, you know to Sesh deity at the, at the foundation of the temple in Mayapur. He came to that, but he was too ill to come to the one in, in Vrindavan. When he came to it he, in Mayapur he said and, and Swami Maharaj greeted me in his gumcha, Like a little towel on the veranda. He said, So so intimate was our relationship. They had lived together. He didn't feel he had to get dressed up necessarily. So anyway, they came. Siddha Maharaj and his disciple, Govinda Maharaj. There's a picture of them on that occasion, on the veranda, all taking prasadam, Prabhupada and Siddha Maharaj, together. And so um, he came for the occasion of overseeing the installation of the Ananta which goes into the ground to support the whole foundation of the temple. And they took prasad, all upstairs and everything, and then Prabhupada, took Sridhar and put him on his bed and asked him to please take rest. And then Prabhupada went downstairs and performed the whole ceremony. So afterwards, Sridhar disciple, Govindamarsh, asked Prabhupada, he said, Swadhar I have one question. And he said, yes. He said, you invited our Guru Maharaj to come here and oversee the installation of the deity. But you have given him prasad and given him your bed, and then you have gone down and done the whole installation. So how are we to understand this? <laughs> this question? So Prabhupada said, yes, I have invited him and he agreed to come and therefore it is done. He has given his blessing to that, his will. The will of the Vaishnava is everything. Then I didn't want to trouble him with more than that and I did all the physical aspect himself because his will was behind, I accepted his blessing. <laughs> so he had regard for him and, and Sridhar Maharaj had high, highest regard for, for Prabhupada. The only person we know that ever sat on the Vyasasan along with Prabhupada by Prabhupada's invitation. You've seen the picture. In front of all of his disciples in Mayapur, Prabhupada introduced him one year. So, yeah, you know, they are brothers, they're godbrothers, so they have some differences too. And It's not our business to focus on all those minor differences. They're of the same stamp, they come from the same tree, they bear the same fruit. It's all interesting histories and things, aren't they? It's, it was really wonderful hearing from Shidemar so many histories of Godiamath, and especially because the history of the breakup of Godiamath was so much paralleling the breakup of sorts of ISKCON. I mean, it's still there, but it's not exactly the same either. So there were so many parallels. So It was so insightful to hear from him, the history I mean, it wasn't like new ground. And, and, and there was the person that probably said you could get advice from him. And he had all that experience. And, you know, the experience, for example, of God brothers being gurus. He had seen all, and how to harmonize the, the sentiments of the new disciples, which would be different yeah. than that of the God brothers, was a huge problem in ISKCON, mm-hmm. dealing with that. And Prabhupada had opened the door to somebody who, who had seen all that and, and had the experience of that and had the insight and in had to harmonize that and so forth. What a wealth, you know, to take advantage of. So suited um, he was for advising us at the time. And understandably, Prabhupada is the one that opened the door to his good advice, good counsel.